there was a time in my life when I thought I'd really made it. I was a young, successful engineer, still in my 20s. The accountants and managers of the company relied on me to keep the paper machines running. They consulted me. They paid me well. Furthermore, I had a beautiful wife and three lovely kids and a house in the leafy suburbs. I was somebody. We all want to be somebody, don't we? We're entitled to be thought of as reasonably important people, to be honoured, to have status. These values seem absolutely natural and right and normal, do they not? Well, today's gospel reading turns some of those assumptions on their head and make Christianity about rather more than simply being a good person and treating your neighbour well. There's a rather disturbing hidden depth to our faith that we must account for. The passage begins with Jesus teaching his disciples that he was to be betrayed into human hands. The chief priests and political leaders of the day that he would be handed over to be killed but would rise again. The disciples had begun following Jesus in such a heady and optimistic fashion. Here was a real leader, a holy man with amazing powers who spoke with real authority. The crowds just lapped it up. He'd cast a vision of the kingdom of God, bringing justice and freedom to God's ancient people. But increasingly, Jesus had begun saying that the route to this new world ran through Jerusalem to conflict with the authorities, to rejection and death. But the passage says they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask. Why do you think they couldn't understand what Jesus seemed to be saying so plainly? He said exactly the same thing in Caesarea Philippi in the previous chapter. He will repeat this prediction of his death in chapter 10. This is a sustained emphasis in the clearest possible terms that the whole vision of Jesus would be achieved through his death in Jerusalem. But the disciples did not understand him. In Mark chapter 8, Peter had rightly identified Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. But in their minds, no such fate could possibly be in store for the chosen one of God. It would be as outlandish and unthinkable for the captain of the All Blacks to say that he would play the next test with his shoelaces tied together. And so the disciples were afraid to ask. Afraid of looking stupid, perhaps. Afraid of losing status, perhaps. But more likely, afraid that Jesus would confirm their worst fear that following him would indeed involve all this unpleasantness. And so they arrived in Capernaum and entered a house. And Jesus, who had no doubt overheard the disciples along the way, addressed the elephant in the room. He said, what were you arguing about along the way? Now, many of us askew conflict, don't we? But it's often at the expense of transparency. Jesus confronts his disciples. This is a lesson that is just too important to ignore. 
What were you arguing about on the way? Notice that Jesus begins with a question, not a declaration or an assertion or a finger-wagging response, but a question of accountability, a question a patient teacher might ask, a question that causes the disciples to reflect deeply on their values. But again, there is silence. And I suspect not a little shuffling of feet and hanging of heads. There's a line in Jesus Christ Superstar that says, always hoped that I'd be an apostle, knew that I would make it if I tried. Then when we retire, we can write the Gospels so they'll all talk about us when we die. Remember that? I think I might sing it. Always hoped that I'd be an apostle. Knew that I would make it if I tried. Then when we retire, we can write the Gospels so they'll all talk about us when we die. Those lyrics cleverly suggest... Oh, thank you. <laughs> this is on film after all. Those lyrics cleverly suggest a number of possible motivations the disciples may have had. And so into this awkward silence, Jesus calls the disciples together, sits down in the style of a rabbi about to teach. This is shorthand for what I'm about to say is supremely important. And says to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. How often have you heard Jesus say something like this? I'll give you just three examples, one from each of the other, other Gospels. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, Jesus says, The greatest among you will be your servant. Luke 14, 11, For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then John 13, verse 14, very memorably, Jesus said, So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I could have chosen many other verses. It seems to me this idea of the first shall be last is deeply embedded in the DNA of the gospel record. Are you sometimes guilty of overcomplicating things? I know I can sometimes be guilty of that. Uh, there can be so many details that I can miss the main point. So don't overcomplicate Christianity. This value of humility and servanthood really is at the very centre of our faith. It's not that complex. But this episode illustrates the clash between God's values and what I would call natural human values. In Jesus Christ, God has come into the midst of human culture and there is a profound difference between the nature of God and our own natural human nature. A difference between the character of God and the things that we think are normal and right and natural. And this is actually writ large on the world stage, even as we speak in many different ways. And what Jesus asked the disciples, and he asks you and I this morning, what were you arguing about? 
What is most important to you? What drives you? What do you grasp after? And if we're honest, we might admit to things like power and wealth and status, possessions, gratification of various kinds and esteem. And when Jesus drills down, we, like the disciples, are silent. We have nothing to say because we know that these are superficial values of the world and in no way represent the mind and character of God, the silence. But again, as a master teacher, patient yet exacting, Jesus sits a child on his knee, cradled in the crook of his arm, and says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me. Children in the Greco-Roman world, and indeed in most ancient cultures, had little value and in the worst cases were seen as mere chattels. In Judaism, when a child reached the age of 12 or 13, they were ready to take on adult responsibilities. The idea of a teenage transition into adulthood is rather a modern construct And these days, it's extended, of course, to young adulthood. But the point here is that children had little status in society, and yet we're being told to welcome children in the same way that we might welcome Jesus himself. We're used to deferring to those in power and those with status, aren't we? We treat them as somebodies. But Jesus is telling us that Christians are to treat even the most lowly person within our society as a somebody, as a person with dignity and value, as a person of immeasurable value. It's in human nature to want to associate with those who are rich and powerful and beautiful and successful, is it not? Those with status in our community. Somehow we think that our own status will be enhanced by association. But do not think that God agrees with our human measure of worth and status. God in Christ has reversed our human measures. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. There is no such thing as a nobody in God's kingdom. You know, when I worked as an engineer, I really felt like a somebody because I played a role in a big company. I had valuable skills. I had experience. People respected me. I played the world's game. But God's measure is different. In God's sight, everybody is somebody, not because they have a role or skills or experience, but because they are created in God's image. And that is the measure of status and worth. Jesus walked the route to the cross to die in the most degrading, shameful, and pitiable ways that humankind has ever devised. He died outside the walls of Jerusalem. He died without any status at all. He died 
as a worthless slave or a rebel against the state. That's what crucifixion meant. And it was a systematic way of degrading someone so they were worthless. Jesus became a nobody in order to reach everybody. So let us be a fellowship of Christian believers who rejoice in this upside-down kingdom of Jesus. Let us rejoice that we are loved unconditionally just as we are. God calls us somebodies. And now let us live that out in our relations with others, not deferring to the rich and powerful of the world, but genuinely welcoming everyone in the name of Christ, great and small, rich and poor, powerful and weak. Amen.